Book Two, Chapter One, Sections Four through Seven of *The Food of the Gods and How It Came to Earth* by H. G. Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Catherine Eastman. Four. The growth of the puffballs following on the expansion of the cattle's baby really ought to have opened the vicar's eyes. The latter fact had already come right into his arms at the christening, almost overpoweringly. The youngster bawled with deafening violence when the cold water that sealed its divine inheritance and its right to the name of Albert Edward Caddles fell upon its brow. It was already beyond maternal porterage, and Caddles, staggering indeed but grinning triumphantly at quantitatively inferior parents, bore it back to the free sitting occupied by his party. "'I never saw such a child,' said the vicar. This was the first public intimation that the cattle's baby, which had begun its earthly career a little under seven pounds, did, after all, intend to be a credit to its parents. Very soon it was clear it meant to be not only a credit, but a glory. And within a month their glory shone so brightly as to be, in connection with people in the cattle's position, improper. The butcher weighed the infant eleven times. He was a man of few words, and he soon got through with them. The first time he said, He's a good un. The next time he said, My word. The third time he said, Well, mum. And after that he simply blew enormously each time, scratched his head, and looked at his scales with an unprecedented mistrust. Everyone came to see the big baby, so it was called by universal consent and most of them said, "'He's a bouncer,' and almost all remarked to him, "'Did they?' Miss Fletcher came and said, "'She never did,' which was perfectly true. Lady Wondershoot, the village tyrant, arrived the day after the third weighing and inspected the phenomenon narrowly through glasses that filled it with howling terror. "'It's an unusually big child,' she told its mother in a loud, instructive voice. "'You ought to take unusual care of it, Caddles. Of course it won't go on like this, being bottle-fed, but we must do what we can for it. I'll send you down some more flannel.' The doctor came and measured the child with a tape and put the figures in a notebook, and old Mr. Drifthassock, who farmed by Upmarden, brought a manure-traveller two miles out of their way to look at it. The traveller asked the child's age three times over, and said finally that he was blowed. He left it to be inferred how and why he was blowed. Apparently it was the child's size blowed him. He also said it ought to be put into a baby show. And all day long, out of school hours, little children kept coming and saying, "'Please, Mrs. Cattle's mum, may we have a look at your baby, please, mum?' until Mrs. Cattle's had to put a stop to it. And amidst all these scenes of amazement came Mrs. Skinner, and stood and smiled, standing somewhat in the background, with each sharp elbow in a lank, gnarled hand, and smiling, smiling, under and about her nose, with a smile of infinite profundity.' "'It makes even that old wretch of a grandmother look quite pleasant,' said Lady Wondershoot, "'though I'm sorry she's come back to the village.' 
Of course, as with almost all cottagers' babies, the eleemosynary element had already come in, but the child soon made it clear, by colossal bawling, that so far as the filling of its bottle went, it hadn't come in yet nearly enough. The baby was entitled to a nine-days wonder, and everyone wondered happily over its amazing growth for twice that time and more. And then, you know, instead of dropping into the background and giving place to other marvels, it went on growing more than ever. Lady Wondershoot heard Mrs. Greenfield, her housekeeper, with infinite amazement. Cattle's downstairs again. No food for the child. My dear Greenfield, it's impossible. The creature eats like a hippopotamus. I'm sure it can't be true. I'm sure I hope you're not being imposed upon, my lady, said Mrs. Greenfield. It's so difficult to tell with these people, said Lady Wondershoot. Now I do wish, my good Greenfield, that you'd just go down there yourself this afternoon and see, see it have its bottle. Big as it is, I cannot imagine that it needs more than six pints a day. It hasn't no business to, my lady, said Mrs. Greenfield. The hand of Lady Wondershoot quivered with that COS sort of emotion, that suspicious rage that stirs in all true aristocrats, at the thought that possibly the meaner classes are, after all, as mean as their betters, and, where the sting lies, scoring points in the game. But Mrs. Greenfield could observe no evidence of peculation, and the order for an increasing daily supply to the Cattle's nursery was issued. Scarcely had the first installment gone, when Cattle's was back again at the great house in a state abjectly apologetic. "'We took the greatest care of him, Mrs. Greenfield, I do assure you, Mum, but he's regular bust em. They flew with such violence, Mum, that one button broke a pane of the window, Mum, and one hit me a regular stinger just here, Mum.' Lady Wondershoot, when she heard that this amazing child had positively burst out of its beautiful charity clothes, decided that she must speak to Cattles herself. He appeared in her presence with his hair hastily wetted and smoothed by hand, breathless, and clinging to his hat-brim as though it was a life-belt, and he stumbled at the carpet-edge out of sheer distress of mind. Lady Wondershoot liked bullying Cattles. Cattles was her ideal lower-class person, dishonest, faithful, abject, industrious, and inconceivably incapable of responsibility. She told him it was a serious matter, the way his child was going on. "'It's his appetite, my ladyship,' said Cattles, with a rising note. "'Check him, my ladyship, you can't,' said Cattles. "'There he lies, my ladyship, and kicks out he does, and owls that distressin'. "'We haven't the heart, my ladyship. "'If we had, the neighbors would interfere.' Lady Wondershoot consulted the parish doctor. "'What I want to know,' said Lady Wondershoot, "'is it right this child should have such an extraordinary quantity of milk?' "'The proper allowance for a child of that age,' said the parish doctor, "'is a pint and a half to two pints in the twenty-four hours. "'I don't see that you are called upon to provide more. "'If you do, it is your own generosity. "'Of course we might try the legitimate quantity for a few days.' But the child, I must admit, seems for some reason to be physiologically different, possibly what is called a sport, a case of general hypertrophy. It isn't fair to the other parish children, 
said Lady Wondershoot. I am certain we shall have complaints if this goes on. I don't see that any one can be expected to give more than the recognized allowance. We might insist on its doing with that, or if it wouldn't, send it as a case to the infirmary. I suppose, said Lady Wondershoot, reflecting, that apart from the size and the appetite you don't find anything else abnormal, nothing monstrous. No, no, I don't. But no doubt if this growth goes on we shall find grave moral and intellectual deficiencies. One might almost prophesy that from Max Nordau's law. A most gifted and celebrated philosopher, Lady Wondershoot. He discovered that the abnormal is abnormal. A most valuable discovery, and well worth bearing in mind. I find it of the utmost help in practice. When I come upon anything abnormal, I say at once, this is abnormal. His eyes became profound, his voice dropped, his manner verged upon the intimately confidential. He raised one hand stiffly. And I treat it in that spirit, he said. Five. Tut-tut, said the vicar to his breakfast things, the day after the coming of Mrs. Skinner. Tut-tut, what's this? And poised his glasses at his paper with a general air of remonstrance. Giant wasps, what's the world coming to? American journalists, I suppose. Hang these novelties. Giant gooseberries are good enough for me. Nonsense, said the vicar, and drank off his coffee at a gulp, eyes steadfast on the paper, and smacked his lips incredulously. Bosh, said the vicar, rejecting the hint altogether. But the next day there was more of it, and the light came. Not all at once, however. When he went for his constitutional that day, he was still chuckling at the absurd story his paper would have had him believe. Wasps, indeed, killing a dog! Incidentally, as he passed by the sight of that first crop of puffballs, he remarked that the grass was growing very rank there, but he did not connect that in any way with the matter of his amusement. "'We should certainly have heard something of it,' he said, Whitstable can't be twenty miles from here. Beyond, he found another puffball, one of the second crop, rising like a rock's egg out of the abnormally coarsened turf. The thing came upon him in a flash. He did not take his usual round that morning. Instead, he turned aside by the second stile and came round to the cattle's cottage. Where's that baby? he demanded, and at the sight of it, Goodness me! He went up the village, blessing his heart, and met the doctor full tilt coming down. He grasped his arm. What does this mean? he said. Have you seen the paper these last few days? The doctor said he had. Well, what's the matter with that child? What's the matter with everything? Wasps, puffballs, babies, eh? What's making them grow so big? This is most unexpected. In Kent, too. If it was America now. It's a little difficult to say just what it is, said the doctor. So far as I can grasp the symptoms. Yes. It's hypertrophy. General hypertrophy. Hypertrophy. Yes. General, affecting all the bodily structures, all the organism. I may say that in my own mind, between ourselves, I'm very nearly convinced it's that. But one has to be careful. Ah, 
said the vicar, a good deal relieved to find the doctor equal to the situation. But how is it it's breaking out in this fashion all over the place? That again, said the doctor, is difficult to say. Urshot, here, it's a pretty clear case of spreading. Yes, said the doctor. Yes, I think so. It has a strong resemblance, at any rate, to some sort of epidemic. Probably epidemic hypertrophy will meet the case. Epidemic, said the vicar. You don't mean it's contagious. The doctor smiled gently and rubbed one hand against the other. That I couldn't say, he said. But, cried the vicar, round-eyed, if it's catching, it, it affects us. He made a stride up the road and turned about. I've just been there, he cried. Hadn't I better? I'll go home at once and have a bath and fumigate my clothes. The doctor regarded his retreating back for a moment, and then turned about and went towards his own house. But on the way he reflected that one case had been in the village a month without anyone catching the disease and after a pause of hesitation decided to be as brave as a doctor should be, and take the risks like a man. And indeed he was well advised by his second thoughts. Growth was the last thing that could ever happen to him again. He could have eaten, and the vicar could have eaten, Heracleophorbia by the truckful. For growth had done with them. Growth had done with these two gentlemen forevermore. 6. It was a day or so after this conversation, a day or so, that is, after the burning of the experimental farm, that Winkles came to Redwood and showed him an insulting letter. It was an anonymous letter, and an author should respect his character's secrets. "'You are only taking credit for a natural phenomenon,' said the letter, "'and trying to advertise yourself by your letter to the Times. "'You and your boom-food. "'Let me tell you, this absurdly named food of yours "'has only the most accidental connection with those big wasps and rats. "'The plain fact is, there is an epidemic of hypertrophy, "'contagious hypertrophy, which you have about as much claim to control "'as you have to control the solar system. "'The thing is as old as the hills.' There was hypertrophy in the family of Anak. Quite outside your range, at Cheesing Eyebright, at the present time, there is a baby. Shaky up-and-down writing, old gentleman, apparently, said Redwood. But it's odd, a baby. He read a few lines further, and had an inspiration. By Jove, said he, that's my missing Mrs. Skinner. He descended upon her suddenly in the afternoon of the following day. She was engaged in pulling onions in the little garden before her daughter's cottage when she saw him coming through the garden gate. She stood for a moment consternated, as the country folks say, and then folded her arms, and with the little bunch of onions held defensively under her left elbow, awaited his approach. Her mouth opened and shut several times, she mumbled her remaining tooth, and once, quite suddenly, she curtsied, like the blink of an arc light. "'I thought I should find you,' said Redwood. "'I thought you might, sir,' she said, without joy. "'Where's Skinner?' "'He ain't never written to me, sir, not once, nor come nigh of me since I came here, sir.' "'Don't you know what's become of him?' "'Him not having written, no, sir.' And she edged a step towards the left with an imperfect idea of cutting off Redwood from the barn door. "'No one knows what has become of him.' said Redwood. 
"'I dare say he knows,' said Mrs. Skinner. "'He doesn't tell.' "'He was always a great one for looking after himself "'and leaving them that was near and dear to him in trouble, was Skinner, "'though clever as could be,' said Mrs. Skinner. "'Where's this child?' asked Redwood abruptly. "'She begged his pardon.' This child I hear about, the child you've been giving our stuff to, the child that weighs two stone. Mrs. Skinner's hands worked, and she dropped the onions. Really, sir, she protested, I don't hardly know, sir, what you mean. My daughter, sir, Mrs. Caddles, as a baby, sir. And she made an agitated curtsy, and tried to look innocently inquiring by tilting her nose to one side. "'You'd better let me see that baby, Mrs. Skinner,' said Redwood. Mrs. Skinner unmasked an eye at him as she led the way towards the barn. "'Of course, sir, there may have been a little in a little can of nicey I give his father to bring over from the farm, or a little, perhaps, what I happened to bring about with me, so to speak, me packing in a hurry and all.' "'Hm,' said Redwood, after he had cluckered to the infant for a space. Hmm. He told Mrs. Caddles the baby was a very fine child indeed, a thing that was getting well home to her intelligence, and he ignored her altogether after that. Presently she left the barn, through sheer insignificance. "'Now you've started him, you'll have to keep on with him, you know,' he said to Mrs. Skinner. He turned on her abruptly. "'Don't splash it about this time,' he said." "'Splash it about, sir.' "'Oh, you know.' She indicated knowledge by convulsive gestures. "'You haven't told these people here, the parents, the squire, and so on, at the big house, the doctor, no one?' Mrs. Skinner shook her head. "'I wouldn't,' said Redwood. He went to the door of the barn and surveyed the world about him. The door of the barn looked between the end of the cottage and some disused piggeries through a five-barred gate upon the high road. Beyond was a high, red brick wall, rich with ivy and wallflower and pennywort, and set along the top with broken glass. Beyond the corner of the wall, a sunlit notice-board amidst green and yellow branches reared itself above the rich tones of the first fallen leaves, and announced that trespassers in these woods will be prosecuted. The dark shadow of a gap in the hedge threw a stretch of barbed wire into relief. Um, said Redwood, then, in a deeper note, hm. There came a clatter of horses and the sound of wheels, and Lady Wondershoot's greys came into view. He marked the faces of coachmen and footmen as the equipage approached. The coachman was a very fine specimen, full and fruity, and he drove with a sort of sacramental dignity. Others might doubt their calling and position in the world. He, at any rate, was sure. He drove her ladyship. The footman sat beside him with folded arms and a face of inflexible certainties. Then the great lady herself became visible, in a hat and mantle disdainfully inelegant, peering through her glasses. Two young ladies protruded necks and peered also. The vicar, passing on the other side, swept off the hat from his David's brow unheeded. Redwood remained standing in the doorway for a long time after the carriage had passed, his hands folded behind him. 
His eyes went to the green-gray upland of down, and into the cloud-curdled sky, and came back to the glass-set wall. He turned upon the cool shadows within, and amid spots and blurs of color, regarded the giant child amidst that Rembrandt-esque gloom, naked except for a swathing of flannel, seated upon a huge truss of straw, and playing with its toes. "'I begin to see what we have done,' he said. He mused, and young Caddles, and his own child, and Cosser's brood mingled in his musing. He laughed abruptly. "'Good Lord!' he said at some passing thought. He roused himself presently, and addressed Mrs. Skinner. "'Anyhow, he mustn't be tortured by a break in his food. That, at least, we can prevent. I shall send you a can every six months. That ought to do for him all right.' Mrs. Skinner mumbled something about, "'If you think so, sir,' and "'Probably got packed by mistake. Thought no harm in giving him a little.' and so, by the aid of various aspen gestures, indicated that she understood. So the child went on growing. And growing. Practically, said Lady Wondershoot, he's eaten up every calf in the place, if I have any more of this sort of thing from that man Caddles. 7. But even so secluded a place as Cheesing Eyebright could not rest for long in the theory of hypertrophy, contagious or not, in view of the growing hubbub about the food. In a little while there were painful explanations for Mrs. Skinner, explanations that reduced her to speechless mumblings of her remaining tooth, explanations that probed her and ransacked her and exposed her, until at last she was driven to take refuge from a universal convergence of blame in the dignity of inconsolable widowhood. She turned her eye, which she constrained to be watery, upon the angry lady of the manor, and wiped suds from her hands. "'You forget, my lady, what I'm bearing up under.' And she followed up this warning note with a slightly defiant, "'It's him I think of, my lady, night and day.' She compressed her lips, and her voice flattened and faltered. "'Being et, my lady.' And having established herself on these grounds, she repeated the affirmation her ladyship had refused before. "'I had no more idea what I was given the child, my lady, than any one could have.' Her ladyship turned her mind in more hopeful directions, wigging cattles, of course, tremendously by the way. Emissaries, full of diplomatic threatenings, entered the whirling lives of Bensington and Redwood. They presented themselves as parish councillors, stolid and clinging phonographically to prearranged statements. "'We hold you responsible, Mr. Bensington, for the injury inflicted upon our parish, sir. We hold you responsible.' A firm of solicitors with a snake of a style. Banghurst, Brown, Flap, Codlin, Brown, Tedder, and Snoxton, they called themselves, and appeared invariably in the form of a small, rufous, cunning-looking gentleman with a pointed nose, said vague things about damages, and there was a polished personage, her ladyship agent, who came in suddenly upon Redwood one day and asked, "'Well, sir, and what do you propose to do?' to which Redwood answered that he proposed to discontinue supplying the food for the child if he or Bensington were bothered any further about the matter. "'I give it for nothing as it is,' he said, "'and the child will yell your village to ruins before it dies if you don't let it have the stuff. 
The child's on your hands, and you have to keep it. Lady Wondershoot can't always be Lady Bountiful and earthly providence of her parish, without sometimes meeting a responsibility, you know. The mischief's done, Lady Wondershoot decided when they told her, with expurgations, what Redwood had said. The mischief's done, echoed the vicar. Though, indeed, as a matter of fact, the mischief was only beginning. End of chapter 1